Welcome to the Rumpus Room. Hey everybody, how's it going out there? We're back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room, and let's hit them with the takeaway message of the day. The words that you use matter. <clears throat> so certain types of people have different words that they are uh, more apt to hear or more apt to kind of go towards. And I'll give you an example. Um, there's the two different types of people. You Either people that are motivated to achieve actions or they're motivated to solve problems and avoid solutions. So the distribution just in this fact, and it's kind of like, are you motivated by the carrot or the stick? 40% um, of people are motivated um, to away from things and 40% of people are motivated towards things. So the different types of language you use with people matters. So towards, for example, attain, get, have, and um, away from is avoid. And the, the thing where this became really interesting was when recruiting people. So let's just say for an accounting job, you wouldn't want somebody that is a towards mentality. They're more of an away from. They like to solve problems. Um, so I've been reading a lot about the, the different words that you use with different types of communication, whether it's through your website or through a job posting or even interview questions and the words people use uh, tells you a lot about uh, what type of job they would be better at. Um, and I've just noticed in kind of doing this profiling in myself, I usually have one side or the other. And that was just one of the better examples that I thought of. Um, is just what language motivates me to to actually do things, <laughs> and I I've so been. What uh, what do you consider yourself? Uh, so I, it it a lot of it depends on the emotional state that I'm in, but I think um, avoiding is something that I really like to. That motivates me more to work. So towards is great. But I've determined that I actually have more of a risk-averse personality. And so I like to limit my risk. I like to take chances and move forward and challenge myself. And that comes out in different things. But my motivational language is more um, risk-averse. Like one of the things I talked about earlier is I'm really, I'm experimenting with trying to get better at golf. And so... Uh, you can use a mental trick of what works better. Say you have a, a five foot putt, which is you know, you you should a make makeable it putt, a yeah. makeable putt. You should yeah. make it, and most of the time, if you miss it, it's something that's not your putting. It's in your head. So I was reading something that talked about you. You either motivate. You're better motivated by thinking I have a chance to get a birdie, or I don't want to screw up my par streak. So based on the language you use to yourself, sure. you will be motivated better. Because what happens is, let's just say for me, I've realized, oh my gosh, I get, I'm going to have a birdie here. This is going to be so great. Then I get too worked up about the, uh, the goal instead of the task. See, I, I always find myself uh, approaching that sort of moment of execution where, you know, I'm throwing a dart or I'm putting the ball. I have this mental note in my head that returns to, oh, I can do this. Mm -hmm. And I, I, that is like a curse in my head for some reason. Whenever I say that to myself, I feel like 
I don't perform mm-hmm. for some reason, uh, even though I'm trying to reframe in a positive light. So I've been doing way too much research on how to get better at golf. Mm-hmm. And I have figured out what has helped me. So I played golf the other day and I shot even and nice. it was like nothing. And do you know what really is important in golf is getting into a positive mental state mm-hmm. or a mental state where you're not linked to the outcome. Yeah. So how you do that is your pre-shot routine. And so what has helped me, and this is this what this has done to me is I have practiced my pre-shot routine. So I take the exact same number of swings, looks at the hole, and I break down, and my my goal is to do that routine the same every time. Mm-hmm. And that has helped me let go of where I want. I pick where I'm going to hit it. I commit to it, and then I focus on executing my routine. And that has allowed me to get out of my mind. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I don't do it perfect every time. I screw up. But that has allowed me to get out of my head and into the routine and it has allowed me to execute so much better Hmm, interesting so much better and i've been following a lot of really good this there's this one guy that i've been following who is a psychological coach for professionals and he's just fascinating he actually ran a seminar in the ncaa and got it got banned because the teams that he ran the seminar for got advantages an advantage and they won Hmm. so now it's i mean he said that was the greatest marketing he could have ever gotten yeah so it's been in my quest to kind of hack golf i've uh been reading a lot and just trying to figure out how to not go to the range for five hours a day and get better at golf Mm -hmm. and so then a lot of this mental routine stuff has really been interesting well i uh was chatting with one of my buddy about the uh, if that should have been the easiest bet in the entire world to throw money at Brooks Kepka taking down the U.S. Open or was it PGA? PGA, yeah. Taking down the PGA Championship after he shit the bed in the Masters. It mm-hmm. was so clear that he lost that tournament mm-hmm. and that you're going to the most challenging course in the tour. He's got a shot advantage over pretty much everybody except DJ. And so... Like that was in my mind one of those clear betting scenarios where it would have been wise for me to be like, okay, he was probably like four to one odds to win. Put it all down. Yeah, yeah. Those are still really good odds, and you know that he's like got that mental edge in that regard Mm -hmm. because of that previous experience. It's definitely sort of the continuation of of um, you know his competitive energy or whatever, and. So I, I'm uh, that w- that was a fun one to see, and I, I always look for those opportunities. And I was I was golfing with a buddy of mine who actually sells data to betting companies um, mm. uh, to Vegas and stuff. And he was he you know when I say that he would tell me actually what that is, they call that a prop bet, I guess. I prop don't know. bet. I don't yeah, know. We're I so don't, out of it. Uh, yeah. No. Gambling, sports betting is now legal across the United States, I believe, but I think states have to... Yeah, states have to officially approve, and you have to go through this whole process. There's a lot of them that are coming. There's a lot of states that are starting to... 
jump on board. Well, it's amazing how quickly people move when the whole revenue piece is added Once to the budget. Once they start understanding that. The financial component. Well, uh, marijuana has largely had a huge impact like that, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, and uh, it, it appears to me, it, it's an interesting question when you think about, like, you know, the... There's a lot of conspiracy theories out there about like the advent of the crack epidemic to pursue or, you know, to hold down, you know, certain urban populations or whatever. Mm -hmm. And a a lot of it is conjecture because how can you ever corroborate any of that? You know, like (laughs) Like there's three guys in a room making this decision. Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, we're going to unleash the crack epidemic. Like a lot of people believe that that happened so it's it's hard to disagree with that there's some potential truth to it but um when when you start to look at you know the drug sort of um the the evolution of the legalization of drugs that you would have to believe that at some point uh you know like mdma getting through stage clinical two trials, clinical yeah. trials that's huge I, I don't think psilocybin is very far away denver just decrim- decriminalized psilocybin hmm. It's uh, it's it's interesting, and then I I always go to like, okay, well, you know, in terms of like hard drugs, like in Switzerland, you can sign up for programs where you can do heroin recreationally, hmm. uh, and I always come back to like cocaine. Well, will the government really legalize cocaine at some point? Yeah, like maybe like not now, but in the future, in ten or fifteen years, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's such an interesting idea to think about, like how fundamentally different our society operates today in, in its approach to drugs. You know, imagine if like GlaxoSmithKline started pushing out, <laughs> pushing out cocaine <laughs> pills. Oh my gosh. They would love it. They would love it. it. They wouldn't have to then invest so much in the 60 minutes advertising and in Viagra. And yeah. They would have whatever. to spend a billion dollars with those commercials that are just yeah, God awful. The bit. drugs will sell themselves. You know, you don't need to, you don't need to put the two. It's like Viagra. It's their next. Like Viagra, when it went to generic, generic was like this big, huge, yeah. big, huge deal because it was the most profitable drug and cutting that up. I mean, it didn't have a huge impact like I think people were thinking. Well, wasn't it uh, the sponsorships? There was the Super Bowl that I think. The Super Bowl ad revenue went significantly went down. significantly down because they didn't have pharmaceutical yeah. revenue from, from that drug from, alone, which is amazing that it has that big of an impact. It, well, it does. When you think of the... It, it's, it is crazy how those impacts have such a waterfall effect um, for the businesses around them. And you think of like businesses, they're all so tied together. A lot mm-hmm. of these businesses are so tied together, like football and beer. Yeah. I mean, those yep. two things are as American male as it comes. Which one of my favorite marketing moments of all time is... Peyton Manning buys a gigantic portion of Budweiser's stock, wins the Super Bowl, and they and ask then, him, Peyton, what are you going to do now that you're retired and blah, blah, blah? Well, I think I'm going to go have a Budweiser or something like that. Just, I, I thought that was pretty hilarious. That's but so think, ridiculous. But think about the foresight for that guy to be like, okay, you know, I'm going to win the Super Bowl this year and retire, and then I'm going to, bu- you know, like they're going to say planned. something to me, and I'm going to drop gonna have Budweiser. A plug. Yeah, I thought that was. Really funny. 
Well, that's the type of guy Peyton Manning. I mean, the type of guy that he's perceived as. I've heard he's pretty fun in well, interviews. And yeah, have you heard the Pat McAfee story? Mm-mm. Well, uh, so Pat McAfee, who used to be the punter for the Colts, Colts uh, well, punted Peyton. with mm-hmm. while Peyton was there, and he once went golfing with Peyton, and. Um, he wasn't much of a golfer, so he tells this funny story about how he had to borrow another guy's clubs because he didn't actually have clubs and whatever. And they went to this casino in just outside Indianapolis, and he was playing some roulette. And then um, Peyton Manning walked through the casino, and in Indianapolis, it was basically like the Red Sea is parting and a Dick, god is among yeah. men. You know, I mean, Zeus just walked yeah, down Zeus the walks down into the middle of this sort of probably redneck rural casino or whatever and uh he's playing uh roulette and um peyton just kind of walks up to the table and stares at everybody deadpan and says 19 looks pretty good because i think he was number 19 or or 17 or 18 18 yeah yeah. he's 18 and he just says 18 looks pretty good and then pat says for whatever reason you know when when somebody like peyton manning says that you you believe him so he said every single person on the table put all of their money on 18 <laughs> and they spun it and it was 18 and everybody won and he was like and and it was true he he is still a god among men and i thought mm-hmm. i thought that was such a fun story yeah it is really funny though everybody was starting to believe in that number everybody was a collective and at that point that's that's exactly one of those edges though you know mm-hmm. where like you just got to jump on it you got that hunch you got the leg up you've beaten the system temporarily one time one time it's the it's the suckers that are continuing to come back to more that yeah that get into those trouble. are the guys that build the big casinos for vegas yeah, 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 yeah. And and you know, these uh it's not like everybody is at the top of a Ponzi scheme, but these yeah. days it would feel as if they are because I'll tell you in the last one month I have had two separate young men try and recruit me for a Ponzi scheme. Which and, is interesting because you're like the perfect person for one of those businesses. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I would be, I would be, you know. But the this was a new one though, mm. and so the way that it goes is basically um, you set up a, a community of people that all buy their goods from the same supplier. So I start buying my toilet paper and my soap. And my, you know, whatever other household items you need. I don't know if they have food in there. They probably do. So you buy into this community. And then all of the goods, I would imagine, are a little bit more expensive. You Mm -hmm. know, because you have to pay all of the other people who got you into the community. Mm -hmm. But then it's just a straight up Ponzi scheme based on however many people you recruit, you get to this level and then you get a portion of their spend and blah, 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 blah. But I thought it was so interesting because buy buy a Hummer in cash, right? Well, no, the, the line was like, how how would you feel about securing your financial future? It's like, uh, yeah. Well, the guys that talked to me, I thought had a better marketing plug of how do you want to buy a Hummer in cash? 
Like that's really easy to envision. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's better a than short term. No, the guys who were talking with me were like, "Well, wouldn't you like to be financially independent?" I was like, "Yeah, obviously, you idiots." But no, uh, I would. I would much rather have I'd, loans. And... I would rather be financially dependent. So, anyway, these these schemes. I I just learned of two of them in quick succession. Exact same business model, just different little pockets. So I'd imagine there's some sort of Amazon marketplace or whatever where you're buying your regular consumer items and then if you get more people into it you start to make more money and mm-hmm. well that's the it's so they the i searched amway and ponzi scheme or pyramid scheme the first result that comes up of course is amway's response i don't know what that one is and so their response is a multi-level marketing yeah obviously which is that's their response and then the next 15 are um for Ponzi scheme yeah. or a pyramid scheme, which, you know, I think I read a stat that said 80 percent, 80 to 90 percent of people are not profitable from this. So what they do is they get you into a seminar, which is basically like a Tony Robbins type. Let's go high five and sell and become millionaires. And they get you in this altered state, emotional state high-fiving people, and then they get you to buy all of the products there. So you place orders, and then you go home, and you don't sell them. Yeah. you lose all your motivation. But that is more of a pure multi-level marketing where you're supposed to sell the goods. I thought this, these two other schemes were interesting because now you're using what your, your own purchases. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But uh, you're totally right. The, well, I think that the... The general direction of these companies are very similar. Oh, it's the same thing. It's mm-hmm. the, we're going to use other people and your ability to go out and get other people involved as the primary source of revenue. So we're making money off of other people, not actually off of selling a product or service. It's And it just represents the sort of get rich quick obsession of today Mm -hmm. i think i think it's really exemplary of when if you think of okay so what good does that do to the market no so what product are we delivering that is of value to the market i mean their message to you is get rich off your friends or off your family i mean how can you that's ridiculous and that's that's the thing that i remember the first question I had as a quote financial advisor was uh, interview was how, and I'm not going to say the names of the companies, but how comfortable are you with asking your relatives to, um, to buy, to give, to give you money. Yeah. And I was immediately like, well, not Not comfortable. And it's like, I'm a 21 and 21 and a half year old kid. Who's going to tell them how to financially invest. No, no, no. You set them up for the next person who's a 26-year-old kid. You know, it's just like a lot of those things are uncomfortable. And when you look at, is this good for the market? And are we delivering something that is valuable to the human race and to everything? I just think it was difficult for me. Other people, maybe they see it differently. And, you know, that's that's probably a good... Maybe if they found a better way to to think about it but i i don't have enough knowledge in the space to to say that but i i just think from first glance it just feels wrong to me well i think you make a big point there about how value add is where we should focus on you know business development and i don't think that 
that it that that really comes across in the world today you mm-hmm. know about like actually offering a value to a customer mm-hmm. as the the source of business now it's very convoluted with like oh app downloads and users and blah 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 and it's i i don't think that it's like the reason for economic advancement is well, and- is to add value to society not necessarily to get rich in well, regard that should be a byproduct of offering a ton of value and i, well, I have amazon. to hearken back to amazon I know. totally oh because gosh. he is getting a bunch of crap for you know being uh his salary which i don't remember what Who it was you know shit. it was two yeah two let's just say like uh two billion a billion dollars a billion dollars or something yeah. and then he his quote was well amazon is worth a hundred billion dollars so that's 98 billion dollars of value that i offered to the rest of the world it's and it's like oh that two billion doesn't seem like it's so <laughs> it's bad nothing. anymore that's nothing that's actually a fraction of the total value that he's offered i mean what? that's 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 peanuts and, and it just bothers me so much I'd be, oh redistribute that wealth it's like what it's really? already redistributed I it, mean, it's already it, it is in it's your already hands distributed. it's already in your hands because you if you use amazon he is redistributing that wealth to you because you have a quicker you don't have to trap like there's lots yeah, of yeah. ways there's for a lot of value add to your life that I think people aren't giving him credit for. Well, and here's the deal. If that value is in the marketplace, you can't say, oh, well, it's not in the right people's hands. It's like, yeah, it's not in your hands. So you want a fucking handout. No kidding. It's in the marketplace. And that's the only place that it can be because the marketplace is supposed to be a free enterprise system for anybody to access that capital. Well, and, and here's, obviously here's there's some issues other with good that, examples but. of like the internet boom. So they, you, there were all these dot com companies that went out there had didn't provide any value. So in the long run, these companies get sniffed out. You think of the housing crisis of people going and doing these crap mortgages, ninja loans, yeah, yeah, ninja loans with these extremely highly defaulted people that could not afford it. The market eventually corrected itself. Yes. Eventually, with time. Yeah. Amazon has proven true over time. And what's interesting is businesses like Amazon take a long time to develop. I mean, it's not like this. He'd been doing that thing for 10, 12 years. Oh, longer than that. Well, and before he even reached like a point where it was something. Sure, sure, sure. And now it's, I don't know how old the company is. There's, you know, but the point is really. If it is a valuable thing that the market that that provide that makes somebody's life better, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. it's worth sticking towards and really putting your efforts in. Other than this scheme of like app downloads and all this crap that people are trying to promote, and I think that's where the venture model falls falls. You know, because what what so what what some people's goals are in the venture model is like I'm going to invest and get out yeah and these ipos aren't working out no the ipos are a good example of how this model is not living up to it's its... not because what it's like then we're going to get bailed out by other people for a not profitable business (laughs) well did you hear about the the real estate market that was waiting on the ipos no oh yeah the san francisco real estate market 
uh, people who are buying or purchasing homes are actively considering the amount of IPOs that are going to occur this spring because they're like, oh, should I wait till the IPOs start? Of course. So that I should, you know, there's way more money in the market and everybody's mm-hmm. going to be spending it and buying, or should I sell my house now so that I can buy one that's cheaper before the IPOs? And I just thought that was so funny that people were actually considering IPOs as like. That's the, it's a very similar story to Seattle. So the Seattle market knows when people get their payouts their bonuses. for their bonuses. And that's when the market goes nuts. Skyrockets. Skyrockets. And then it drops. <laughs> and it's like my buddy who lives there is like, uh, you get this after four years, you vest. And so you work there for four years and you get this big dump load of money. Yeah. And you're kind of like, well, let's go buy a house. Yeah. And he said, that's what everybody in everybody Amazon does. is like renting. And then they go buy some extremely overpriced house <laughs> in the market. Well, so but it, that's like one of those things where it's not very challenging to be like, okay, I'm going to wait six months. Yeah. You know, well, for this to crash or whatever. You know, and it's like, it's just interesting how he's kind of like, everybody knows it's happening. It just and happens. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter. Huh. People still do it. Yeah. But it's, it's funny that, that they're thinking about IPOs in San Francisco is like these markets start to figure out. Oh yeah. They figure it what out. What the, you know, like how do you sell and smart people figure it out. Well, and that's just my issue. Obviously the free market, there are some issues with it, but I don't believe that humans can create a better alternative to like siphon certain portions of free market economy off for others. You know, Mm -hmm. I just think like, Overall, yeah, people are going to get run over by the thing. But would you rather have a really strong thing that sometime runs over everybody or you you put restrictions on it such that it doesn't ever move and it doesn't lift everybody up? Mm-hmm. Welcome to communism in the 19 in the 1950s in China. Yeah. And do you know how many people died in China in the 1940s and 50s after communism? No. 46 million. They won't tell you the real number. No, they won't. (laughs) 46 million Chinese people died. Yeah. Of starvation. That's basic shit. And that was 60 years ago. Yeah. It's going to repeat. The cycle could repeat itself. Oh my God. I couldn't believe that. I worked Mm -hmm. with this Chinese dude and was like, he told me, he was like, yeah, there were 40, you know, over 40 million people died. I was like, what? Yeah. I didn't know that. I, how do we not know People that? People always talk a lot. Nobody ever talks. They they talk about like communist China as like a thing that occurred after World War II, you know, but nobody is like, this is what it was actually like to live there. And so I was so shocked. And the interesting thing is this dude is a more, well, I would, con- he is in my exact same camp in terms of free market economics. Of course. Why would Hardcore, you not be? Hardcore After you see market. that example, well, that's the problem. I mean, we, of course, are more on the enterprising side of business. And I think basically we've been, we've been uh, experienced a lot of positives that way. So I think that's why we're toward it. Yeah, and there's yeah, both yeah, sides yeah. to yeah, of it. Of course, there's two sides to everything. To everything. However, I, I think that there is a little more, there's just more control that each individual has with so basically in a free market where you what you have the choice to buy whatever you want and you make those decisions and how you make decisions into interacts how you interact with the system drives the system 
Yes. And so it's an individual. So you have your own choice rather than somebody making it for you. Well, and, and you hearken back to the Brits. You mm-hmm. have a system that is predicated on the sovereignty of the individual mm-hmm. as opposed to what is supposed to be good for the group. And, and I'm sorry if, if you've ever done any sort of group activity, some people are always going to be a little bit more, worse off than others. There's no way to make it possible. So you might as well empower every single person to do that. And yes, I understand that not every single person is empowered in this current system. And I, I don't think that's, mm-hmm. that's not that advocating how it for there's that a, there's either. a place for it too. I think there's a place for basic needs. The hard thing is, is we haven't figured out how to do that. No, appropriately. We, not. we, we have a, we have a system that has been failing many people Many generations of people. And generations of people. And unfortunately, it's highly linked to where people live. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the biggest indicator of whether or not yeah, where you grow your up. future... Well, the biggest indicator of your future earnings is whether or not you live in a two-family... Two-parent household. Two-parent household. Yeah. But mm-hmm. behind that, I believe, is uh, is, uh, is location. Zip code. Zip code, or, yeah, yeah. yeah. And obviously, my solution, which is super naive in and of itself, is figure out a more egalitarian educational system so well, that, i think education is something that we have not done a good job no we are we are so far behind we're so far behind so far behind so this is interesting when i when i was i was reading and of course this is comes with the caveat of this is finland they have a system where they have a really similar population they're very small and controlled. However, they have they went from one of the not the worst, but on the in the a bottom half perhaps, of yeah. mediocrity mediocrity to the number one highly yeah. highest educated place. And there's a ton of compounding factors. They pay everybody very well there. So to say what very well is, they pay teachers comparable to what a lawyer a lawyer makes would, here would make here. So hundreds so. of thousands of dollars. Yeah, yeah. So you know, and it's hard to, to get into. They require yeah. tons of degrees. Lots of lots of schooling. What it's I thought was interesting profession. though is they they don't have any sports teams. There's that no, is fascinating. I, I thought that was fascinating that they didn't have any sports teams. So your high school wouldn't have a football team. There's no homecoming. There's none of that. Oh none my of that god! Stuff. I can't even. I could not even imagine. What I mean, because the school revolves so much. We got. We were lucky that we had a educational system that really did emphasize academics. But there are. So it was sort of dual focus, you know, academics and athletics. But there was a huge emphasis on sports. Oh, you think about our school, and we had one of the we had. One of the top programs the top in the state. Academic programs academic. in the state. Yeah. And the focus of athletics was oh, God. so high. Wearing your jersey around on game days. Can you believe Even that Even the stuff? teachers play the teachers, into it too. Yeah, like, oh yeah, man, yeah. you know, and oh, good job. And, you know, the announcements over the loudspeaker and they... You or walk... leaving school early to go to like state or whatever. Oh, and, that okay, was crazy. Okay, so walk into, walk into a school and see what you see. What Tell everybody what you see first. Trophies. Yeah, what, always I mean, there's trophies in, of yeah, championship. Yeah, it's yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not 
you know gladiators oh i i yeah like it's not like look at this look at the amazing impact this guy we went went over to india and built a sustainable you know water system for this town out nowhere it's like no no this dude had the most tackles look at look at this (laughs) look at this football team from 30 years ago Uh, that beat every other football team they were they're the the best they were the most savage yeah and you think of like there's no honoring of past students that have done these great things so how what role models do they have no they don't have any role models what role models do these kids have of pre like we had jesse ventura walk in one time for a pep rally that's about all we had but it's such a sport you think of pep rallies yeah you think of the emotion we create the state championship i mean oh man i mean state tournaments are what it's all about uh, all i remember uh, high school you get back with your high school friends and the only thing you talk about about is sports You don't talk about, man, that AP class was so much fun. and oh man. I I do, though. I have a couple of my friends that we we reminisce about, like, classroom stuff. And and that is something that... We were sort of eggheads. Well, yeah, yeah, I was not on the egghead side. (laughs) We still still had a... We had nine national merit scholars, which was, was a ton. We had a super smart class, and the focus still was on sports mm-hmm. and mm. I consider myself now to be more on the nerdy side and researching and having a great time doing it. A lot of fun reading and doing all these things. And that's just not how we were raised or coached in this really academically rigorous school. Well, it was kind of funny. All of our, our center right guard and right tackle and quarterback were all and a running back were all AP calculus students. <laughs> yeah, which I thought was so funny. Our offensive line had like more AP calculus participants, which uh, you add up their ACT their scores ACT better score, than like the rest of the team. The the entire defense the entire on the opposing squad. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Yeah, <laughs> I just, actually one of them got it. I think one. Uh, I can't remember. Anyway, we aced it. I think he got a thirty-three. Oh, okay. So close. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I just think, so that going back to the Finland system, they have focused on learning differently. Learning, of course, differently, but learning, sure. um, they've really tried to figure out what, how do you learn better. So they don't learn multiplication tables. They don't spend time because they say it's a waste of energy because we have calculators, calculators, computers, massive machines to do it. Yeah. So what they do is learn how to use these tools and they learn yeah. the overall um, concepts and how to apply concepts. And so, you know, it's it's just such a different learning environment than us taking timed math tests, well, which, I, yep. which is good and in some sense. And I think you need to learn math, but it's just... How do you learn differently? And I don't think our system is going to evolve quick enough in the States. I worry about our ability yeah, to compete I do. at I do a as well. global level. And you think of like China, Russia, all these other... South Korea. All do these you know, other places that are like farming people to do these jobs. Farming, but how about this? There, There is a point in the South Korean calendar where they have a name for a day and it's like called the day of low voices and it's around the time or the day that students are taking their exams Mm -hmm. and like the entire town is quiet like the whole country the whole country starts acting like a library because they realize that kids are trying to study it's 
it's it's that big of a deal culturally. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, and that's that's in order for us to get there, we have those are some things we have to prioritize instead of the Super Bowl. You know, like for us to compete <sighs> at a level of that that magnitude, we have to start promoting education and some of these basic things um, more. And I just think there's. There's so far that we have to go as a country. I mean, we're pretty young. I think we are so advanced compared to others in some senses, but it's mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. you know, you worry about taking steps back. Well, what I've found out or what I've sort of discovered in my uh, uh, travels is that the United States has pockets of otherworldly achievement in it. Mm-hmm. You look at Silicon Valley and what that place was able to do. You look at, you know, Detroit in the past or New York and 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 these are cities that have pockets of otherworldly achievement, but then when you start to look at the swath as a whole, mm-hmm. we don't have that. So I looked at Australia's mental health system. Overall, I would say Australia's mental health system is better than the United States. Mm-hmm. They have more public services. They have less stigma. They have more access. The Culturally, they're just more comfortable talking about mental and emotional health. And they have the service delivery to back it up. However, they get a lot of their innovative programming from the United States, yeah, from like these professors mm-hmm. who like have developed this tiny little program in one school. It works. And it works super well. But then what they do is they go, oh, well, we're going to implement on a broad scale. And what we don't do in the United States is that type of stuff. No, we have this fear, too. of, And, and that's, I mean, we talked about this in a previous podcast episode of the fear of accepting startup cultures and businesses and this fear of change is pretty pervasive in some of these large organizations which prevents us and education is one of them oh we just have a more individualistic culture where Mm -hmm. top-down stuff just really doesn't work Mm -hmm. you know i mean in the u.s top-down stuff look what happens look what happens look at the cultural conversation (laughs) on cnn right now i mean it's despicable oh man it just is it is so it, it really, you know, herein lies the issue with the free market system is you can't do that top-down thing. And speaking of this gentleman who I work with from China, he, uh, him and I talked about Xi Jinping consolidating power because, you know, now he can't be mm-hmm. removed for removed. term limits. Yeah. And I asked him about that. And I said, what do you think? And he said, it's for the inevitable take back of Taiwan. <laughs> deadpan straight face and i had never ever ever heard somebody speak about the chinese relationship with taiwan in in that frank of a term the inevitable take back of taiwan oh man and once you start to peel back the layers on the taiwanese and chinese relationship you can kind of understand you it's very clear how they think that because um I don't know if people are really that interested in it. Should I talk Let's about it? Let's go for it. Okay, cool. We'll find so, something fun in there. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Um, in the Taiwanese constitution, it's written that uh, they own China. They own mainland China. And in the Chinese constitution, so technically they're a part of China. Mm-hmm. Like, And then um, 
in the Chinese constitution, it obviously says like, well, we are the rightful owners of mainland of Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And, um, they didn't give an equity share number. No, <laughs> they did not negotiate that one. But <laughs> okay. the evolution of Taiwan is really interesting because, uh, you know, they seceded, all of the capitalists went over to Taiwan, wanted to start their own government, and um, the Chinese, uh, you know, didn't really, like, go over and seek to take them back or whatever, because Taiwan had military backing from the Western powers. And when you think about Taiwan from a Chinese perspective, there's no advent, there's no advent, uh, advantage of the existence of Taiwan in its current state mm-hmm. from China because they are a security threat. One, because they are an ally of the Western agenda. So right Good now, control. Yeah. So right now, Taiwan is in just an amazingly good position because they have China that's trying to strengthen relationships for the eventual take back. So it's not bloody. Mm-hmm. And then you have the United States, which is like, oh, let us, this opportunity. let us just put some missiles right off the coast of China. Like, it's no big deal. So, yeah, we'll sell you all of our stuff. Shit, we'll give it to you for free. Yeah, we will, it's worth everything. Yeah, so now what China is doing, though, is China is pressing on their international relate ta- the Taiwanese international relations with other countries. Mm-hmm. So European countries have denounced their relationship with Taiwan. Oh boy. To because China says, "Hey, if, if you, you do, say we're out." Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you say that you you are no longer, you know, doing business or cool with Taiwan, we'll give you a discount. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you a discount on all the shit wholesale, we make for wholesale you. Wholesale price. <laughs> wholesale price. We'll give it to you for half off for the next 150 years. Because we freaking hate Taiwan. Yeah, and so they're slowly trying to sever all of these international relations so there's not international outcry once they go back and try and take it over. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, that's going to be interesting uh, to play out in the in the news. Oh, if it, it'll never make it over here until something happens. But. No, that one will be a blip on the radar until China does something, and, and then in our media is going to be like China's trying to take over the world. We yep. need to. Oh, but yeah. nobody. Here's the thing: nobody is ever going to start World War Three over fucking Taiwan. No, no, it's they're not significant enough. Mm-mm. We don't really have an advantage it, right now. The U.S. just is like having an affair with Taiwan, and they're well, it's, just like it's they're very, just playing on the weekends because. I, <laughs> yeah, it's like we know that it's just going to piss them off. We know it's going to piss them off, and it's a it can't be a mm-hmm. sustainable thing. But we're going to take this and run with it while we got it. Yeah, it's a it's the thorn in the side. Yeah, for negotiating, it works both ways. Yeah, yeah, it works both ways. I mean, it's similar to so I'm reading the Truman book right now. It's really, really good, and the relationship between Russia and Poland uh-huh. at that point, mm-hmm. you know, them trying to take over, it wasn't worth the U.S. You know, calling, really going crazy. But Truman yeah. has such a his approach is fascinating. I'm halfway through it, so I can't really speak to what happens in the end. Um, but, man, the, it's very similar where Russia, a, quote, ally, is trying to gain power in another place and kind of, like, do it under everybody, sure. under everybody without anybody noticing. Yeah. Yet the U.S. knew about it. 
and they mm. know they're trying to do it. British, the British forces, the Allies knew that they're doing it too. But again, they were not like we're not going to start a world war because y'all want to get in bed with Poland. Exactly. In in Russia, basically at this point, lied. Stalin lied to well, of all of the I leaders. Mean, you have to ex- yeah. assume that every international piece of information that is shared is a fucking lie. Oh well, yeah. Why would you call it truth? Why would you ever speak the truth? Which they, you know, Truman is like the truth serum guy. Oh, he is, and that's what everybody's you know he's now voted as one of the best presidents ever no, truman doctrine mm-hmm. and so he is like the he is the gold star of a honest man hmm. from missouri it's a really fascinating book but i just the interest it's very interesting to hear about the china relationship because again history is repeating itself like we discussed in a previous episode as it tends to some of these things just start to go in cycles and you can learn from what happened so Maybe on the next few episodes, I'll talk about what uh, the what happened in that book. Something to tune in for. Uh, just to, after you go and get comfortable in your set of new Just Brown underwear, and uh, you know are ready for some heavy hitting podcast information. I mean, just flying at you. This one is going to be rated more on the uh, serious side of yeah, things. We're going serious. Going serious this time. So you'll see the rating on the. Uh, podcast image uh if you go to our website www.rumpusroompodcast.com if you do feel like you want to rock out in your new pair of jbus when you're listening to the cast just head over to justbrownunderwear.com and pick up a pair and you can join the club um and that's all we got for you today folks we'll tune in next week where we'll be back kicking it here in the rumpus room 